Now, the annexation of Texas uh, was at least acquired through peaceful means uh, and through the processes of American government. Uh, the next uh, event uh, would not follow the same lines. So the Mexican-American War uh, is probably the most obvious and most unfortunate example of Democrat administrations and politicians pursuing the expansion and protection of slavery, uh, utilizing federal resources. Uh, so the best way to consider this is that every northern Union state that was at this point, well, many decades into being uh, free states, uh, nonetheless helped fund uh, military incursions that first instigated and then won the Mexican-American War for the purpose of expanding slavery. So one can imagine uh, kind of the sense of injustice uh, where you see not only the protection of institution that you already view as being morally reprehensible and contrary to the founding, uh, but then federal resources being used to expand and, and uh, protect it as well, and in this case, uh, through force of arms. So how this... Uh, how this kind of happened here was, uh, just as he had initially with Texas, uh, President uh, James Polk uh, made many attempts to purchase uh, multiple territories from Spain. Uh, uh, Spain rejected these attempts. So, so far, we're kind of following the same basic lines as uh, the attempts to annex Mexico. However, in this case, uh, there were no other diplomatic methods left, not even clandestine ones, such as, uh, you know, hidden offers of $30 million, for example. And so instead, uh, he carefully selected uh, the third most qualified uh, military official at the time. His name was Zachary Taylor. And Zachary Taylor was chosen because he was a Democrat. Uh, the two... Uh, military men who outranked him and would have been preferable for this assignment uh, were both northern Whigs, uh, so the, they were very much opposed to slavery. And so uh, Polk was not necessarily looking for a military man for this operation he was planning. Uh, he needed a, a Democrat party line man, a, an apparatchik. And so he settled on Zachary Taylor. And uh, Taylor was told to go or ultimately anyway, uh, to go and occupy land that Mexico claimed. Uh, he was, he was uh, referred to this area specifically, and uh, he was relocated to this area uh, after his initial uh, posting on the border between uh, Mexico and the United States uh, until all diplomatic attempts to purchase territory failed. And once those failed... Uh, Taylor was ordered then to uh, set up a post directly on Mexican territory. And, of course, the the idea was to uh, instigate a violent confrontation, which is what happened. Now, uh, through this confrontation, of course, then Polk goes to Congress and starts beating the battle drums of patriotic passion and fervor uh, and the public mind was compelled towards war uh, because the events were marketed and described as an act of Mexican aggression. Uh, so 
of course, to uh, to not to lessen the events of the war itself, but for our purposes, it was the machinations prior and uh, during the war that are most uh, significant. Uh, so <clears throat> the the war was questionable from its onset, uh, and Abraham Lincoln kind of uh, rose to prominence during this time, uh, asking questions is pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, so at this point, he was a leading member of the Whig Party. Uh, the Republican Party uh, had not yet formed and would not until about 1854, 1856, depending on how you, how you examine it. And he, in a very lengthy uh, speech which he delivers, which uh, going through uh, so many of his, uh, his oratories, one is quick to learn that although Lincoln's speeches tended to be a little bit longer, uh, it was because of thoroughness and conciseness. Uh, he very carefully examined every detail. This was a man who was a self-taught attorney, and uh, he had memorized Euclid's elements as a way to help him structure his thinking processes and his means of argumentation. You could see that reflected very, very powerfully in all of his speeches, especially in his debates, uh, his, well, his upcoming debates uh, with Stephen Douglas, who was far outmatched. Uh, so Lincoln goes in this lengthy examination of all of the uh, details provided by the administration uh, that were used to justify the uh, Mexican-American War. And at the conclusion, he simply notes, I propose to try to show that the whole of this issue and evidence is, from beginning to end, the sheerest deception. Uh, one of the leading uh, guideposts for this type of criticism at the time uh, was that Polk offered uh, no explanation for the war uh, and really obfuscated many details and the changing details uh, that he used to justify it. And he also never specified any goal or ambition. Was it to take certain territory? Was it to enact a certain amount of casualties in retribution? Uh, you know, what was the point of the war? We, yes, we were in conflict, but was what was the design and purpose? You know, what was the military goal here? Uh, and, and, of course, in a, a process uh, that would become the mainstay of uh, future wars, there was no end goal established. Now, um, General Scott, or rather... Uh, Lincoln, excuse me, he notes that uh, Polk nowhere intimates uh, when he expects the war to terminate. At its beginning, General Scott was, by the same president, driven into disfavor, if not disgrace, for intimating that peace could not be conquered in less than three or four months. But now, at the end of about 20 months, the same president gives us a long message without showing us that as to the end, he himself has even an imaginary conception so what Lincoln's describing here is when the war began, there was a gentleman by the name of General Scott, uh, and he was rebuked by Polk uh, for, for saying that it was unlikely that the Americans could, war, could win the war in less than uh, three to four months, and Polk rebuked him for that. And now they've been at war, air quotes, uh, for about 20 months, and now Polk is saying, well, you just never know about these things. Of course, the issue here was that the point of the war was to force Mexico to surrender slave territory. 
that was the guiding principle, but he couldn't just come out and say that, of course. He instead just phrased it as a war in defense of American dignity uh, and lots of you know the lofty platitudes and, and the kind of things that keep people's passions stirred up. Uh, so Lincoln presented a series of interrogatories called the Spot Resolutions. And these were, as you might suspect from a self-taught attorney, uh, very specific questions meant to elucidate specific facts. Uh, unfortunately, these resolutions were rejected, uh, and not only by Democrats, uh, but also by some uh, fellow Whigs who felt that the, in the midst of the patriotic uh, fervor, uh, it was a, it was dip, it was a political suicide, and it likely wouldn't have resulted in any improvement of the circumstances. But one of the most vital and key arguments that Lincoln addresses here uh, was the kind of repeated phrase, although it shifted, uh, that the initial combat and conflict began on U.S. soil. So Lincoln explains. Uh, first, that the soil was ours when the hostilities commenced, and second, that whether it was rightfully ours or not, Congress had annexed it, and the president for that reason was bound to defend it, both of which are as clearly proved to be false in fact as you can prove that your house is mine. The soil was not ours, and Congress did not annex or attempt to annex it. So one of the larger uh, really lies that uh, Polk was saying and, and repeating ad nauseum was that uh, the United States had had in fact uh, annexed this territory uh, and as a consequence that made it American territory and so when Mexicans attacked it was an uh, attack from a foreign entity on domestic soil and of course that's incorrect there was never any record of annexation there was nothing and so this also kind of opened a larger window and one that's still extraordinarily relevant uh, to the modern day, which was the arbitrary ability of presidents to engage in military action. And this was particularly manifested here, uh, and it would be again, uh, by phrasing wars uh, as an act of self-defense. So, oh, we must go invade and, and do X, Y, or Z uh, because of national security concerns. Which isn't to say that that's not sometimes true. But where it's sometimes true is also sometimes a false and misleading uh, impetus for engaging in a political war, uh, which is exactly the case here. So Lincoln explains this, of course, better than I can. He says, Allow the president to invade a neighboring nation whenever he shall deem it necessary to repel an invasion, and you allow him to do so whether he may choose to say he deems it necessary for such purpose, and you allow him to make war at pleasure. If today he should choose to say he thinks it necessary to invade Canada to prevent the British from invading us, how could you stop him? You may say to him, I see no probability of the British invading us. But he will say to you, be silent. I see it, even if you don't. So in this short passage, Lincoln really encapsulates kind of the uh, the danger in the current foreign policy with, with uh, presidential declarations of war by accepting war as uh, a suitable defense to hypothetical invasions and the like 
uh, was to leave the door wide open uh, for exactly these kinds of events to occur where a president can then uh, kind of instigate conflicts or justify conflicts for a political or personal agenda uh, that can just kind of otherwise be justified under this large, ambiguous, and very much undefined and unconstitutionally defined uh, purpose of national defense or proactively resisting invasion. <clears throat> so at the time, uh, it was these events were treated uh, in the public mind also uh, as clearly and, and kind of a, a pro-slavery activist war. Uh, now, that generally didn't discount from the patriotic side. One can believe that uh, Americans were attacked on American soil, and yeah, they might have been provoked, and it might have been instigated by our side, but that doesn't change the fact that X, Y, and Z. And yes, it might be to the utmost benefit for uh, the slave states, but the defense of American dignity and honor and, and well, just defense of American soil uh, rises above uh, sectional interests. Uh, and although that, that is an uh, admirable way to view such uh, legitimate foreign threats, uh, in this case, uh, this un that unique kind of American understanding uh, was a detriment. And this was acknowledged also by Henry Clay, uh, one of the most amazing statesmen uh, throughout the period. Uh, he was also the architect of the 1820 Compromise. And he uh, delivered a speech in 1847. And he was uh, addressing the annexation of Texas and the Mexican-American War, uh, considered alongside another uh, pro-slavery uh, policy that was implemented in the House by the Democratic Party called the Gag Rule, which prevented the reading of any abolitionist uh, petitions. Uh, which will actually be uh, addressed uh, in an upcoming episode, in episode 21. But Mr. Clay observes, One proposes, in your behalf and mine, to disavow in the most positive manner any desire on our part to acquire any foreign territory whatever for the purpose of introducing slavery into it, to abstain from seeking to conquer and annex it to the United States, Mexico or any part of it, and especially to disabuse the public mind in any quarter of the Union of the impression, if it anywhere exists, that a desire for such a conquest is cherished for the purpose of propagating slavery. So here Clay uh, outlines exactly what was occurring at the time. Um, of course, very eloquently, uh, he's illustrating essentially the same arguments that I presented uh, in this and in uh, previous episodes, uh, that the purpose of the war uh, was in fact one for the expansion and protection of slavery, uh, and so was the annexation of Texas. Now Clay also goes on to insinuate uh, that the point of the war was just for the uh, political choices and desires of Polk, and and did not reflect. Uh, the overall temperature in Congress. And the, the biggest issue surrounding this, of course, was that it was difficult for someone to come to an informed and proper opinion on the matter because so many facts were obfuscated or withheld or changed uh, from time to time. Uh, again, very quite applicable to the uh, current uh, infection of historical revisionism. So he continues... 
He says, If a war be commenced without any previous declaration of its objects, as in the case of the existing war with Mexico, Congress must necessarily possess the authority at any time to declare for what purposes it shall be further prosecuted. If we suppose Congress does not possess the controlling authority attributed to it, if it be contended that a war having been once commenced, the President of the United States may direct it to the accomplishment of any objects he pleases without consulting and without regard to the will of Congress, the Convention will have utterly failed in guarding the nation against the abuses and ambitions of a single individual. Either Congress or the President must have the right of determining upon the objects for which a war shall be prosecuted. There is no other alternative. If the President possesses it and may prosecute it for objects against the will of Congress, where is the difference in our free government and that of any other nation which may be governed by an absolute czar, emperor, or king? Now, of course, these, uh, these observations made by Clay resonate uh, all through American history, uh, up to and especially including the modern times. Uh, where a series of wars are essentially solo operations conducted by the executive with little or no insight uh, from Congress. And this, as we can see here, this pattern establishes itself very early in American history uh, and to uh, great uh, consternation by those who uh, seek to maintain the founding principles of checks and balance and enumerated powers uh, just to avoid these kinds of abuses. Uh, now, kind of like the uh, annexation of Texas, obviously, uh, the Mexican-American War uh, was a boon to the slave states and the uh, what came to be called the slave power, a term that kind of addresses the overall political abilities of the slave states. Uh, America, of course, won the war and, as a consequence, acquired massive amounts of territory, uh, territory that uh, would... Uh, actually lead to yet more uh, civil strife and political strife in trying to determine how that territory uh, should be divided and how it should enter uh, the Union. Uh, but while all that was still occurring, uh, the uh, Democrat administration uh, was still seeking to expand slave territory, this time through an event uh, came to be called the Ostend Manifesto, where uh, they attempted to use clandestine ways to instigate a uh, slave insurrection as a excuse to invade and annex Cuba. Mm -hmm.